I'm excited today because we are starting a new series called Emoji Jesus. And, uh, you know, as you looked at that bumper and it's like, oh, look at this. Uh, how many of you have ever deleted something you were about to say and used emojis to say it instead? Okay, so some of you, the rest of you are liars. Great. Um, that's perfect. Listen, this is so funny. We, USA Today actually reports that we use close to 10 billion emojis a day. 10 billion emojis a day. And I thought it would be kind of fun to look at 2023, according to USA Today, and, and say, like, what were the top five emojis that we use to express our emotions when we weren't really sure how to say them? We use these instead. And uh, you ready? Tell me. I'm gonna, we're going to put it up. You tell me what it is, and then we'll say, all right, did you use it? Have you used it this year? And we'll kind of do our own little poll with it. So let's look at the first one. This is the most used emoji this year. How many of you have used this one? Okay, some of you are like, eh. That, that's not an eh emoji. That's a very, ex what is this emoji? Okay, someone said LOL. Someone said, what was what were some of the other ones? Laughing. L-M-A-O. Okay, it's another way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> we used initials, so it's going to be okay. Um, this is what's known as the face with tears of joy. This is a joyful emoji. This isn't how we use it, is it? No, but it, that's what it's called. Let's look at the second one. Ah, very similar. We've just turned a little. How many of you have used this? Okay, this one's a good one. And what does it mean? Okay, LOL with neck problems. This, you use this as you get older a lot more. That's when you wake up in the morning. Uh, what, is it, what does it mean? Yeah, this is rolling on the floor laughing. Can't you see the feet? We're supposed to know what that means, right? But now we use the first two a lot because we don't want to just use the first one. We've got, we got to switch them back up so people know we really care, right? That's how we use those. Let's look at the third one. Ah, how many of you have used this this year? Okay, good. This is more of us. And what is this? It's a heart, the red heart. Okay, when we like something, we use this one. Yeah, but we never use it just once. We always use it multiple times, don't we? You got to put more than one, otherwise it's weird. So you add, make it two. All right, let's look at the fourth one. Ah, how many of you have used this one? Okay, what, what does this mean? I'm praying. Um, what was it? Yeah, high-fiving. Okay, we've got a lot of different things here. This is simply stated when you look at the emojis, uh, you know, like dictionary or encyclopedia of it. It's like, this is called folded hands. It's very neutral to anything, right? Folded hands. But we use this as we're praying, high-fiving, we're excited about something. The last one, the most used emoji of 2023 is this. Oh, how many of you use this one? What is this? This is sad. This is the, the, the I'm crying face. This is also the man or the loud crying face. Not just I'm crying. This is the loud. You see that mouth? You're out loud with it. Now, when I saw these things, I thought, oh, these are cute. Um, but those do not look like my top five. I do not use these as frequently as I use others. And when I looked at my top five, maybe it's because I have three teenagers in my home or maybe it's just something else. But here was my number one. My number one was the flush face. Uh, the eyes that are huge, like I can't believe this just came through. I can't, oh my gosh, when I don't have the words to tell you, what? Um, the caps won't get big enough. I use this one. The second one that I use, this is very regular. Uh -uh. Why would they do this? Why would they say, uh -uh. I, do you have any idea? Uh -uh. This is called man shrugging, but this in my vocabulary is, uh -uh. Um, the third one that I use, love this one. 
the praise hands. Okay, I love the celebration hands, the praise hands. When I'm excited about something, I'm all in, but I do that during worship too, so that's in person and on text. I can kind of make them go both. The fourth that I use is... Okay, let's a little transparency here. Please tell me I'm not the only one that this is going to be a top five or anybody else. Okay, great. Thank you. I see you, parents. Um, this one is hard, right? This is, I get angry. I get frustrated. I receive things or want to respond to things, and my blood is boiling. This is known as the enraged. I don't necessarily know that I get to enraged, but I get very angry. And the last one that I use, this is regular as well. <laughs> this usually follows... Mm, and I'm left in a place going, I don't know how to communicate. Not only do I not know, but why? Why would you do this? Now, emojis are a fun way to communicate. They've become more and more popular, especially in the context of work. It used to be just this thing that we would have on the side. And now, if you have a job, people are using these images to communicate emotions that we sometimes have trouble putting words to. And I think we use these emojis because... It's easier to communicate with a picture than words when it comes to our emotions. It just is. Like, how are you feeling? Good. What does that even mean? We, we have trouble communicating with our words because we don't have the best vocabulary when it comes to emotions, but pictures have a way of kind of demonstrating, maybe this is a little bit more what I'm feeling like, and, and I can't explain it, so my emotions are... How do I communicate that? You can't. So we use pictures. And emotions are such an important part of who we are. And we all have them. We all experience them. When you begin to feel emotional about something, these are a gift from God. They're not good. They're not bad. They are part of who we are. And our emotions are wired into who we are so that whatever is in front of us that's making us react, whether it's a good reaction, bad reaction, it doesn't matter, any type of reaction, it's showing us that whatever we're standing in front of, we actually care about. It means something to us, for good or for bad. If you get frustrated at your parents and you're like, I just can't, why? Because you care about them and you're frustrated with them. And that's a good thing. Is the emotion behind it a good thing? It's neither good nor bad. It's actually just a sign of something that's going on inside that we have trouble putting words to. Please tell me there's someone else here who has trouble putting words to their emotions besides me. I cannot always do this well. And I'm trying to figure out what do we do? How can we emote well? And how can we talk about emotions that a lot of times, especially in churches, some emotions we tend to shame and we say those aren't good, especially the ones that feel a little rough. But emotions are what we all have in common. And over the next four weeks, we are going to look at a couple of different emotions by looking at these faces of Jesus. And it's like, really? Those aren't on my phone. I know. I wish there was a way to submit them to, like, you know, the emoji store, but there's no way these are flying. Um, but we want to look at what are some of the different emotions that Jesus experienced, and what did it reveal about him, and what does it tell us about us since we've been created in God's image? How do we experience these emotions? What are we supposed to do when they come up? And we've picked, like I said, emotions that may be a little difficult. Emotions that may today and next week or that, that you may be like, I wish we didn't talk about that one. I don't like that emotion and I run from it. Well, I hope to change that. I hope to change that because I think it's going to be an amazing series when we can look at how Jesus handles life and do all we can to really ask God to conform us into his image. And so today we are going to look at this Jesus right here. Does anybody know what this Jesus is? What emotion would you put this as? 
Okay, sad. Someone said tired. Usually we experience our emotions heavy duty when we're tired. They get bigger, don't they? Can you think of any other emotions that might be attached to this image? Fear. Fear. Ooh, that's a good one. Sorrow. How many of you thought sorrow is an emotion? Right? This is weird. Like, wait, I feel sorrow? No, I feel like I've lost something. We don't have always the best words, and today we're going to look at the emotion that we all experience of sorrow. This is sorrowful Jesus. And sorrowful Jesus, what we have to understand is that sorrow, this emotion that we all experience, is completely wrapped around what we lose. When we lose something, we experience sorrow. And I will tell you that when you stop to think about your life and the life of the people who are around you right now here at Crossbridge, whether it's online or in person, there is loss everywhere that is around us. We have experienced it very acutely here at Crossbridge. We have families who have lost loved ones recently. We have had families who have lost long-time pets in their home, and it has devastated this family, especially the kids in the home. We've talked um, with, I've walked and talked with so many couples who are in the possible beginning stages of losing their marriages or losing family members it's because of divide and fights. And we have seen people lose jobs in our church this year with absolutely no warning. Hey, you wake up, you can't work anymore here. And it's done. We have had families who have lost their homes and had to move. And it's not just here, right? Turn on the TV. How many of you have thought about what's happening in the Ukraine and in Israel and Gaza recently? This is nothing but massive amounts of loss that our world is experiencing, earthquakes that are constantly happening, and storms that come through and wipe out people. Loss is all around our world, and it continues to increase. And can we just, I know we're really transparent, can we just be honest about loss? Loss sucks, doesn't it? And if you're thinking, oh, I can't believe he said that. And you're more concerned with what I just said than the idea that loss is ruining and really wrecking the people's lives that are around us, including us. You've missed it. Loss continues to redirect our lives in ways that is so hard. And most of us, when we experience loss, try to run from it, avoid it, and not deal with it. Instead of what God is asking God, what are you doing in this? And I have experienced loss in this season that has been frustrating, whether it's been relationships or, you know, different family things that have gone on, uh, expectations and dreams, limits. All of these things are losses, and I'll be honest. I sit with God sometimes, and I ask, like, God, where are you in this? If you really cared about this situation, wouldn't you change it? Wouldn't you heal that? Wouldn't you, you know, not let them get sick? Wouldn't you restore this thing? Like, losing is not what I want. If you really cared, you would take this away. And I honestly go to God with those questions like King David going, where are you in this loss? What am I supposed to do? And maybe you're a better person than I am. You probably are. But I know this week I have been praying through these experiences. This week, where are you in this loss in my life? And where are you in the loss that's happening around the world? Why can't this stop? And in those moments, I will tell you what has brought such peace is reading scripture and remembering that Jesus himself had this emotion of loss, of sorrow, because Jesus lost things too. And when I remember that Jesus experienced this, here's the truth that I hope you take away today. It reminds me that it's not bad to experience this emotion. It's not bad to experience loss. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean that you should get over it very quickly. 
I'm reminded in these moments, Jesus experienced this too, and that alone makes me feel better. It does. It leads me to wonder then, okay, how did he handle loss? What did he do? And that's what we're going to do this morning is look at this emotion of sorrow because our culture does not grieve or handle loss well. Okay, I, that, that you may be like, no, we're fine. We have a suck it up buttercup mentality of keep going, let's move on. If you lost something, it doesn't matter. We've got things to do. And when most other cultures come into the U.S. and they see how we grieve for our families, they are so confused. You've just lost a major person in your family. Why are you not weeping? Why are you not walking? Why are, like, you're over this and at work the next day? Yeah, I just got to keep going. I don't want to think about it. That's not how Jesus handled loss. He paused, he felt, he sat in it. And so to explore this, I want to look at the passage um, and just snippets of it that Jeremy had read for us from John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn there to the biography of Jesus written by his best friend. And as you're turning there, this uh, John chapter 11 is one of the longest stories about Jesus. And that's something to pay attention to. When you were looking through the Bible, a lot of stories about Jesus are pretty concentrated. This is a pretty long one, a full chapter with lots and lots of verses, and it's revolving around a family that Jesus was really clo close with, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This was all brothers and sisters, and they were like some of the best friends that Jesus had. He stayed with them often. They live in a town called Bethany, which is like two miles from Jerusalem. And at the time that we're reading in John chapter 11, Jesus is actually about a two days walk away from this town of Bethany. He had some issues in Jerusalem, tried to get away. He's away, and then word travels to Jesus while he's away saying, hey, heads up, your best friend Lazarus is sick. Your best friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus kind of, instead of, I need to turn around and get to Bethany really quick, he looks at his disciples and he says, we kind of need to wait here. Like, it's not the time to go yet. And, and we can... We could talk about that in a whole different message about how we wait for the right timing with God. But after a couple days, he heads back to Bethany. He gets on his way into this town, and word comes to him as he's entering into the region that heads up, your best friend died and has been dead for about four days. Well, that just hit hard. Jesus heals things, right? He, we, we read about that all the time. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they know that's what Jesus has been doing all the time. Well, let's pick up this story in verse 20 to see how Martha and Mary, how did they handle Jesus' delay? In verse 20, it says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. You see, there's, there's people all over who have come from Jerusalem because they're so close, and the city is swelling because Passover's starting, and now all these people know this family, they've been present, and when they find out that Lazarus has passed away, they all come to grieve with Mary and Martha. So the, the, the house is filled with people, and what I love about Jesus is when he gets the news that Lazarus is dead, he does not rush into figuring out exactly what to do. Instead, he feels this loss and sorrow. He stops on the outskirts of this. He doesn't run to the house. He, he then has Martha who's going to run to him. And what does Martha do when she gets to him? This is absolutely unbelievable to me. I love this. I wish we talked about these things more together. Martha is the, the first to meet Jesus. And this is one of the first things we're going to learn about loss. Are you ready? That everybody processes loss different, okay? It says this in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said. He will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And then Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Now, let me tell you, I connect with Martha. I get Martha. She, oh man, we'd be like excellent friends if I was living in the first century. She's the one who approaches loss with logic. Logic is one of the ways that we approach loss. It is the driver for how we handle things. And this is how many of us do approach loss, logically. We, we can't immediately tap into that pain that leads some people crying and some people, you know, weeping on end and, ah, woe is me. And we look and we go, I don't get it. And logically, we're trying to process through, why did this happen? What could we have done different? How could I have stepped in and changed things? We, we tend to rationalize a lot of things, and we don't let our emotions quite influence us too much. We've got to get some stuff done. We've got to figure out logically what's next. And this is how Martha approaches Jesus. When she gets to Jesus, she, she's straight up like, listen, if you were not absent, this would have been different. Is that a wrong thing for her to say? No, logically she knows he's healed people. This makes sense. Lazarus would be living and we would have a happy Passover Seder together if you had come when you heard the news. Now, instead, you took time. You stayed where you were. Now look, Lazarus is dead. Logically, she's walking through. What is she feeling? What is going on in her mind? And instead of, of weeping all over him or what was me, it's, it's here. It's not that logical people aren't emotional. We are emotional. The emotion just looks different, and that's okay. She's logically emotional, and she quickly comes to that conclusion when Jesus responds to her, and she's like, wait a second, I, I recognize that, that God is the Father, that you have come from God. I believe you're the Messiah, and that all things will rise again, that the resurrection will happen. She has hope in the resurrection, that she will see her brother again, that this death is not the end. There's hope here. It does not mean she doesn't care. It's just logically she's trying to get to the end because that's what's going to bring some comfort to her. I mean, Jesus loved him too, didn't he? So did he tell Martha, like, man, you should be weeping more over this. You should feel this more because I feel it right now. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. No, he meets her logic with logic. He loves Martha because she's been created in the image of God to think differently than Mary's going to think. And Jesus doesn't force her to try to think a different way. He meets her where she's at. And he reminds her, anyone who believes in me is going to live. Let me bring you that peace. And she's like, you're right. You're right. I get it. I'm in. I believe this. You see, when we are in the midst of pain and suffering, whether it's our fault or someone else's fault, we can get these blinders on us, and we begin to think that this pain is all about us, that this loss revolves around us, and we forget that, that people will respond differently to this loss than we do, and if they're not responding the same way we do, they must be doing it wrong. And, and we can tend to think in a situation when it's all about us, it gets too big, it's too much, and what we do is we lose sight of Jesus in the midst of our loss, 
because it's about us, not about Jesus with us. Jesus doesn't blow Martha off. He meets her where she's at. And so, as he meets her logically, she hears him logically. She feels loved. And do you know what she does? When someone feels loved in the midst of their loss and pain, they go tell others about where they found that help and healing. And so, without missing a beat, she runs home to tell Mary, Oh, Mary, Jesus is here. And is she going to stop and say to him, Hey, guess what? He's got all the right answers to the questions you have right now. Nope, she just says, Jesus is here. He's on the outskirts of town. Martha felt heard. She felt understood. And so, in verse 28, it says, She returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher's here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Immediately went to him. Jesus stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. Martha hears, goes, gets Mary, and do you know where Jesus is? Right where he said he'd be. He never left. He never rushed Mary. He never rushed Martha. He stayed where he was, which is awesome because Jesus, I will tell you this, he will never force us to go through our pain. He will walk with us, but he will not force us. Let's pick it up in verse 31. It says, When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up in him. And he was deeply troubled. If you're frustrated to see that Jesus was angry about something here, we will do anger as an emotion later because anger is not a bad emotion. It's not a bad emotion. Jesus experiences it. So let me just take that off the table now. This is not a sin that experiences it. And so he sits there and he experiences this anger. It wells up in him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Mary gets up so fast to see Jesus that all these people from Jerusalem who are with her are like, oh, she's on, she's on a, a mission. And they do what great friends and mourners do. They follow her to where she's going to be so that she's not left alone in this. And she comes onto the scene. And I'll tell you, I picture this in my head where she comes onto the scene blubbering. You know the, the ugly cry? where every like, hole on your face is dripping with something, that's the cry I see, the, the uncontrollable wailing that is attached to it, that this is like, ew. And she runs at Jesus, and I don't imagine her approaching the same way as Martha going, hey, the question they asked and the statement they said to Jesus is the same. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's not coming to Jesus logical, is she? Because we see her weeping, overwhelmed with emotion. And she comes and it's, I find, and I, I just wonder if it's not more accusatory, but this groaning of, if you had not been here, if you had come, you wouldn't have died and you could have come. It's logical. But when you are on your knees in front of Jesus with nothing left, do we care about the logic? know the emotion and the physicality of who she is. It, it's not that Jesus went, oh, wait a second, you're lost. Please, would you approach me like Martha? 
this would be easier. You know your brother's going to rise. You know that there's going to be a resurrection. Does he approach her? Does he teach her? Does he coach her like that? Does he comfort her like that? No. Instead, in this reaction that she has of confusion, doubt, and pain, Jesus mirrors this emotion back to her of confusion and doubt and pain and like, man, I see what you've got. And we read these two little words, the most invaluable sentence about Jesus, that he wept. He met Martha with logic. He met Mary with tears because they both handle sorrow and loss differently. And so Jesus allows us, because we've been created in our, his image, that we will handle loss differently. And so Jesus handles it both ways. He just meets her. And he weeps with her. That's what verse 35 is. Jesus wept. He's overwhelmed. He wept. And when he wept, the only thing that he could get out of his mouth was, where's the tomb? Like, take me to the place of death. Take me to the worst place that you want to go right now. Can, can, can you tell me where it is? I will go with you. We all need to take a second and stop right now. Take a hard pause on those words in Scripture. Jesus wept. He felt do you feel this? He didn't shortcut the pain. He didn't gloss over it. He didn't suck it up buttercup. He just met the family where they were. He didn't offer them answers or miracles or trivial anecdotes. He just wept. And his love for his family and this family was seen by everyone who was around. Oh my gosh, he must have really loved this guy. This is real deal. He's feeling it. He's emoting. Let me tell you, the fact that Jesus is crying doesn't make him a baby. And in that moment, Mary didn't need all the answers. He, Jesus didn't even need to give any answers. In that moment, the only thing that the people needed was the comfort of more tears together. Sometimes I think we speak too quick to people who are feeling emotion. We try to get them to stop, especially in loss. We say weird things to each other in loss because we're afraid that we might make them cry if we say what we're really feeling, that loss is hard, isn't it? And instead, we're so worried that we end up not saying anything or we say weird things. It's important to note, it's not right, it's not wrong. If you are logical or you are emotional, both are ways that God has created us. And just because someone experiences loss differently than you, you don't need to get them to see it your way. For us logical people, when someone is crying next to you, they do not need the answers. And please don't quote things like, like Romans 8, where don't worry, God works all things for the good of those who are called according to Jesus. It'll all be good. If they're weeping, they could care less about your words, even if they are true. They want to hug they want no words from you, but they want your presence. And for those who are a little bit more emotional, if, if someone is experiencing loss and you're thinking, they should be crying a lot more. They don't feel anything. They're a robot. I have been accused of being a robot. When my grandfather passed away, it was so difficult. I was doing his funeral, and I did not cry at the funeral. I didn't cry before. I didn't cry after. I, I was thinking through too many things. It wasn't until weeks later that I smelt the 
I had the smell of cut grass coming down 295 at one point. And I remember my grandfather on a lawnmower, and I just lost it and pulled the car over. And I, there, really, that's what's going to send me? I don't know why. But that was when I began to grieve differently. For the people who said to me, oh, this must be hard. You must be weeping all the time. And I'm thinking, am I doing something wrong because I'm not experiencing it? I wasn't avoiding it. It just wasn't where I was. But do you see the tension we can be in with each other? If we expect the way that we experience loss to be the way that other experience loss, we cannot love like Jesus. And instead, Jesus steps in with logic, and he steps in with emotion. And praise God that he's wired us to experience both. Neither is right, neither is wrong. Both are important. I like what pastor and theologian Tim Keller says. He says, we are not called to waste our sorrows, but to grow through them into grace and glory. This makes me wonder if God allows us to experience pain. I don't think God makes things happen to us for us to lose certain people in our life, and God made this happen and made that happen. I think the truth of the gospel and the hope of the gospel is not that God makes bad things happen, but God redeems the bad things that happen. That the loss that we experience when the enemy comes at us and the world that we live in is tough, the answer that Jesus has is not, see, let's see how you grow with this. It's, I am willing to walk with you as you grow in this. This doesn't have to be wasted pain. This doesn't have to be wasted sorrow. And so I kind of think of loss a little bit differently now. Maybe God isn't absent from our losses. Maybe I don't need to ask him, like, where were you? If you could change this, why didn't you? Those are questions that are really big. And I don't think he's just out there waiting for me to get through it. You know why? Because in verse 38 it says, while Jesus was still angry, he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, come on, Martha's, which one, logical or emotional? Come on, listen to this logical statement here. I love Martha. She makes me so happy. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Listen, Martha's logic isn't bad. She's looking out and she's trying to protect the people around. You do know dead people after four days of being wrapped up in a tomb are going to stink. Let's not go there, Jesus. This is hard. This is going to bring up just smell and pain. You're like, it's okay. We believe what you said. And he says, ah, I know you do, but I want you to believe, believe it. I want you to see it. Let's roll that stone aside. And I think that there's so many of us that when, when we experience loss, we leave it unattended. We don't want Jesus to go to those tombs of loss for us. And when we do not address the loss in our life, it begins to stink more and more the more we let it sit. And it affects all the areas of our life in areas that Jesus is saying, you don't have to hide that from me. I could be with you in that. And we're like, but it stinks and it's bad and it's only getting worse. And if you knew the death that was in there, and the sorrow and the loss and the emotions of that. It's just, logically, Jesus, listen, I know you can do all things, but I don't need you to. We'll just wait and deal with that in eternity. And lost, left unattended, begins to stink. And when it begins to stink, it begins to impact the people's lives around us, not just ours. Jesus, in his pain, says one of the things I think is absolutely the most beautiful. In verse 40, 41, and I love the way the New International Version puts it, it says that then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
He prays and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus does not hide his sorrow. He doesn't hide his, uh, you know, emotions or logic from the Father. Instead, he says, I am feeling all of these things and I am praying that you would resurrect Lazarus and I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that you've heard me. Many of us, when we do not go to God in our loss, we get frustrated at him because nothing has changed. Sometimes I think and I fear that we all believe that if we ask God to remove the pain, if it doesn't go away, then he didn't answer our prayer. If we still feel lost, then he didn't answer our prayer. Why would I pray for it anyway? And God is not a God who says, let me remove the pain. That will be a sign that I've answered you. Instead, the grace of God is I don't have to remove the pain, but I can walk with you in it. You don't have to endure this smell alone. Yes, we're going to walk through this, but I can bring life to the things that have died around you in ways that you would never imagine. Will you let me? But when we short-circuit and, and shortcut our sorrow together, we really miss the opportunity for Jesus to conform us into his image. And when he conforms us into his image, we can love others where they are, you and I, are in pain. We have loss. So does your neighbor. So does your family. So do your coworkers. Have you become comfortable enough to walk through your loss that you could love the people around you in theirs? The emotion isn't bad, but it's okay if it's awkward. It's okay if you say the wrong thing. Better to say the wrong thing than no thing. And if it's the loss of a family member or friend, can I beg you to use their name. Don't forget the person who has passed away, the person who has lost that person needs to hear their name, and you're thinking, I don't want to bring it up. They're already thinking about it. Show the respect and honor. That's what love looks like. Have you invited Jesus into that, into your losses, into your pain? As we approach communion today, I recognize that even the disciples themselves handled Jesus' death very differently. Some ran in fear, some wept and didn't know what to do, others lied about the pain, it's not that big of a deal, I didn't even know him. And yet Jesus comes back and he meets each disciple upon his resurrection in different ways to say, let's walk through this, let's deal with this. This is the gift we need for each other, isn't it? You, you don't need this from me, let me just tell you that. If you're thinking, oh, this is big, I need to sit and talk about this with Jimmy. No, you don't. I'm not an expert in this. Believe me, I say the most awkward things all the time. I, I, I don't know how to handle loss with emotional people often. I, it gets me. I, it's hard. You look at me thinking, he doesn't care. No, I do. I just can't do anything. That's hard for me. So what do I know? I know we need each other more than ever through this. Jesus met each disciple, but then had the disciples meet with each other. This is why we surround a table. We celebrate Jesus and ask him to change us so that we can emote healthy. And so today, I would love for us to celebrate communion and before we go and receive the cup and receive the bread, I just wanna give us a minute to ask the Holy Spirit if there are certain tombs of loss that we have sealed off and said, you can't go there. It could be relationships. It could be people. It could be jobs or situations, but what is something that you said, God, you can't go here. And instead he's saying, no, I can. And I will be with you. That's the gift I bring.
Let's just take a minute in prayer. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? So that we can come before you saying, maybe I've withheld. And Jesus, we will invite you in, even though it's hard. So that when we receive communion, we remember your body, your blood. That you resurrect all things. So, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us, whether it's through an image, a word, a picture, or silence, an area we've closed off to you. Jesus, thanks for showing us that tough feelings aren't bad feelings. As we've prepared our hearts, I just ask that you would continue to speak to us as we celebrate your body, your blood. In Jesus' name. At this time, if you have dedicated your life to Jesus, his teachings, and you are following him, we celebrate communion together each week where I would ask that collectively, if that is where you are, you would go to the table to grab the cup and the uh, bread or the prepackaged ones come back together and we will celebrate the risen Savior together in Jesus' name. So let's take communion together.